Hello. Thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. this morning with you all. As we jump back into the Bible doesn't say that uh, sermon series, I've enjoyed this sermon series. Have, has anyone else enjoyed this sermon series? It's, it's quite interesting to uh, examine things that we believe to be true and, and, and line them up against God's word to see what it actually is so. And this is one of the things that at one point in my life I believe to be true, our subject on this morning, uh, which is, does the Bible say do not judge does the bible say do not judge uh that was that was one thing that uh i believe to be true and i think that our culture uh believes that to be true as well but we're going to take a look at what god has to say about this in just a moment um our, our set design team has done a marvelous job once again um with these designs now i was thinking about this just a moment ago and i'm thinking that's the scarlet letter Am I right? All right. So if you read that book, you know what that is there. Uh, Y'all can look that up later. Don't look it up now. Um, But on today, we're going to be talking about do not judge. Uh, Do not judge. Does the Bible say that? Do not judge. Uh, If you have a bulletin, I gave you a little bit of cheat sheet. Uh, I give you the first part of of the points that I'm going to, that I want to stand out today, and you have to finish out that sentence, okay? Okay. but on this morning, I want to tell you about something that because really, when you look at what I'm going to talk about today, it's all about accountability. It's all about accountability. Um, when I was in college the first time around, um, I had a roommate. I was living out in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we had an apartment with myself, him and two other guys, four people in a two bedroom apartment. and. When we lived out there, we both realized and understood that our parents, anyone who knew us, was two states. Was it two states or three states away? I think it's two, two or three states away in Texas. And so when we first got out there, we did all kinds of messed up stuff because we knew that nobody knew who we were. And we can do what we wanted to because nobody was going to go and tell mom and daddy what we was doing. And there became a point in time in which... God said to me, Chris, you are not in control of things, and I can end your life when I want to end it. And I was like, God, okay, I get it. I want to live right now. And it was hard for me to make that switch back into living right for God. And so I would struggle and struggle, and then I started to have a conversation with my roommate, and my roommate ended up getting baptized, and he was trying to live right too. And then all of a sudden you have two Christians living in this household 
to where two other people are, are, are sitting on the couch high on shrooms and high on whatever else they could find. And we're two Christians trying to exist righteously in that environment. And so what we began to do is we began to hold each other accountable for what we did. When I would go out with a young lady, he'd be calling or text, hey, man, it's kind of late. What are you doing? When I get in, hey, did you do right? When he goes out, hey, are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you making sure that you're living the, the righteous life? And we held each other to that standard. And it was very, very, very helpful because it was very easy to do wrong when nobody was there saying, hey, you should do this or you should do that. And we all have this accountability standards that exist in all of our lives. Every single year, we turn in our income and our deductions to the IRS, right? And to make sure that we do that the right way, they say we might have to come and do an audit, right? And that scares some of us into putting in the right numbers, right? Uh, as children, whenever you do chores and you have to clean up the kitchen and you got to wash dishes or you have to dust your mama or your daddy, they come by and they pick those dishes up to see if there's still food and stuff left inside of the dishes because they hold you accountable for what you're doing. They might go as far as putting on a white glove and rubbing it across the table and the shelves. Y'all doing that to y'all kids still? See if there's still dust there when you're supposed to dust. There's a lot of places in which we have accountability and a lot of places which we must be accountable for. And if we don't do things right, people will let us know, hey, this is not the right way to do what you're supposed to be doing. But what has happened is we live in a culture where some people have taken the term spoken, do not judge, which Jesus does actually say in Matthew chapter 7, verses one through six, Jesus talks about judging people, but it's in a very, very different context. You see, Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. And Jesus is talking about don't go and tell people their final destinations when you don't have a destination to put them in. But what our culture has done and what this age has done, they have gone and they have said, do not judge when they really mean do not tell me that I'm wrong. That's really what it's about. When people say, do not judge me, do not tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. People in our culture today, in our society today, they look at a law in which Alabama has just passed where they're talking about uh, uh, banning abortions. And they say, you can't tell me what to do with my body. When in actuality, they're saying, don't tell me that sex is more than just pleasure and that life can be created from this. This is what our culture does. Nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. Nobody wants to be told that they are wrong. Nobody wants to be held accountable. But God speaks through the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he tells a different message, and he tells a different story. And it's so clear that we can't even miss it. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. That's on page 560 in the Pew Bibles. If, you have, if you're using a Pew Bible, if you turn to page number 560, that's where you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. I want to say thanks to, to everyone that came out on Wednesday uh, where we had the topic of uh, race, unity, and faith at the Western Hills Church of Christ. I think it was a, a, a positive conversation 
and it started a, a, a larger conversation that people are still talking about, uh, where we, we're looking at and being honest about why we have black churches, why we have white churches, why we have Latino churches. That's something that we need to discuss because God didn't make that. God did not create that and it should not exist. Right now, we have many places in our own city of Temple that are segregated this morning. God didn't say do it. The government didn't say do it. It's us that's doing it. And that's a real conversation that we have to have. That was very nerve-wracking. I talked to uh, uh, Sam Martinez about that Wednesday. I was like, man, I asked Scott before we did that. I was like, you sure you want to talk about that? I, I thought Scott was going to get fired or something. But... uh. <laughs> But he said he wanted to go ahead and talk about that. So we talked about it, and we were very open about uh, a lot of things. So that was a good thing. It's, it's available online. Um, um, some of us are watching online as well. But you can look at it on Facebook if you please. But we'll start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse number 1. And we'll read the passage in its entirety uh, through uh, 13. I'll be reading from Christian Standard Bible. Is everybody there? Say amen. If you're not there, say hold on. All right. Verse number one reads, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove your congregation the one who did this, or moved from your congregation, the one who did this, verse number three, even though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment. Can we say judgment? On the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, I and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, Hand that one over. Can we say hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved? Can we say spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord? For or your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse number nine reads, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate. Can we say not to associate? With sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, otherwise you would have to leave this world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or verbally abusive, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is of it, what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. As we take a closer look into what God has to say about the topic of judgment and accountability, 
Paul here writes a letter to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them that they are to be accountable. He has written a letter to them because it mentions another letter that is lost at this time. Uh, he mentions another letter that was written to them in which he addresses a lot of the things that they are struggling with at the moment, at this moment in time. And Paul says to them in verse number one, what does he start off by saying? Verse number one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality. Paul is saying, you. I am hearing that someone is being sexually immoral among you. And what he's saying here is something that is not too far from where we are today. Paul is saying somebody is being sexually immoral. That word there in the Greek is porneia. That's where we look. We get the word in English porn from pornography. I want you to understand that people aren't just starting to have an issue with pornography and porn today. They've been having an issue with it for years. And at this time in this church, there was somebody who was sexually immoral in the church. And sexual immorality means this is any kind of sex that is outside of the confines of marriage. Right. Sex is not bad. When it's within the confines of marriage. Okay? I want you to understand that because sometimes as Christians, we, we vilify and we make sex into a nasty thing, but understand you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. God made it both for the, 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 the population of people and for the enjoyment of people who are married. But this case is what's happening in the church at Corinth is a case that is really, really, really odd. Keep reading verse number one. And the kind of sexual immorality. Paul says this kind of sexual immorality is so perverse. He's going to tell you what's happening. That is not even tolerated. He said even those. What? It's not among tolerated. the Gentiles. He said even those people who don't worship God don't do this kind of thing. He said those people who are not Christians don't even go as far as what the people inside of the church at Corinth are doing. He says somebody in Corinth is doing what? A man is sleeping with his father's wife. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. That is stepmama. Hopefully. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Paul said, I'm hearing about what's happening. I was just there. I've been writing letters back and forth to you, and I'm hearing that you're, that you're allowing this thing to go on. Somebody in your church is being sexually immoral. Verse number two, what does that verse say? And you are arrogant. And he says, and this is going on in the church, and you're walking around all proud being members of the church of Christ at Corinth whenever you have sexual immorality existing among your members. You are supposed to be the body of Christ. You're supposed to be upstanding Christian individuals, heavenly citizens, and your leg has gangrene. And you're walking around proud. He says what? Shouldn't you be filled with grief? He says, shouldn't you be filled with grief? And removed from your congregation. Paul the one here who says, did this. To, you ought not be walking around with pride in yourself. You ought to be feeling grief. You ought to be feeling bad that something exists in your body that is so bad that people who don't belong to God won't do it. And he says, not only should you be filled with grief, but you need to get this person from out of your congregation. Paul continues on in verse number three. What does he say? Even though he says, even though I am absent in the body, he says, even though I'm not there, I am present in spirit. I'm present in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. Uh -huh. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who Paul has been doing here, such a thing. He says, I already made up my mind. I've already made my judgment. And some of us in our culture today would read this and say, does Paul not know who Tupac is? 
Because Tupac said, only God can judge me. And we use that all the time. Only God can judge me. Only God can, can judge me. Only God can tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do. So only God can judge, right? That's the culture we live in. And I need you to first understand what it means to judge someone. Now, in a sense, in Matthew chapter uh, 6 or 7, one of the two, where Jesus is talking about not judging, He's talking about something totally different. Now, if we are driving down Avenue G and the speed limit is 30 miles an hour and then we're driving 60, 70 miles an hour and we get a ticket and they tell us to show up at the courthouse on Tuesday of next week and we go before the judge and we have to stand there as a judge reads how fast we were going and the judge simply says, you were speeding. Now get out of here. Is that judgment? No, that's not judgment because you didn't get a fine. You didn't go to jail. You didn't get a final verdict. That's not judgment. But if that judge gives you a fine or he says you got to sit in jail for 30 days, that's a verdict that he's reached. This word judgment here, krino in the Greek, is not simply always mean to give a verdict, but it means to decide or inform. Or to state what something actually is. And in this sense right here, Paul is saying that I've already made up my mind that what this person here is doing is wrong. And we still ask the question, does the Bible say, do not judge? Does the Bible say, do not judge? Paul did. Paul did. And what's the difference between us and Paul, you might say? He's a Christian. I don't think any of us in here has murdered anyone. He was a murderer. Let's keep going on to verse number four. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus. He says, whenever you come together for the purposes of speaking about worshiping in our Lord Jesus, when you come together to worship, come on. And I am with you in spirit uh -huh. with the power of our Lord Jesus. Uh-huh. Hand that one over to Satan. He says what? Hand that one over to Satan. Paul says, hand that one over to Satan. Now, I need for you to understand this because some of us say, I know that the Bible does not say do not judge. And I enjoy judging people because it makes me feel good. I enjoy judging people because it makes me feel like I'm a better person. I enjoy judging people because I like telling people that they're wrong. Y'all know that there's people that exist that do that and feel that way. Paul says, hand this person over. When you have someone in the body, I need for you to understand, Avenue G. When you have somebody in the body that is existing in sin, that ain't got no intentions of changing, and just want to keep on living in sin and living in sin, that person needs to be handed over to Satan. Now, Paul makes this statement, and he does not put a period there. He says that they need to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Comma. Keep reading. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You see, Paul here states in so many words 
You don't remove them from the body so that they could suffer and perish and go towards the destruction. You remove them so that they can be saved in the end. The purpose of judging is not to send someone to destruction, but so that they can get themselves right and so that they can get themselves together. It's not so it can make you feel good about yourself. It's not so you can make things seem how you want it to be. It's not so that you can make yourself look high and mighty, that you're living more righteously than someone else, but it's for the sake of another person. That's something that we get twisted because some of us don't want to judge because it's too big of a burden. And then other of us love to judge because we like making ourselves feel good. Because I believe in Matthew chapter 6, is it? 7, Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6. Jesus talks about getting something out your eye before you talk about what's in other folks' eye. Let's move on to verse number six. Your boasting is not good. He says, I'll go back. Once, I'm sorry, I missed that. Go back to that slide. Judgment is not for you, but for the one being judged. I believe that's one of those statements on your, your bulletins. Judgment should be about the reformation and salvation of another. Judgment should be about the reformation and salvation of another. It should be about that person getting themselves back together and being saved and going to heaven in the end. It's not about you. It's about another person. If your whole purpose for judging is so that you can point your finger, that's not right judgment. If your whole purpose of judging is just so you can Feel good about yourself. It's not about you. It's for the reformation and salvation of another. We have that? All right, verse number six. What does the Bible read there? Your boasting. He says here, your boasting. It's not good. It's not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Now I need you to understand that Paul is not a baker. Paul is not the Pillsbury Doughboy where he's talking about baking cookies and bread. Paul here says, your boasting, your pride that you have in yourself is not good. He says, I need you to understand that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I, I need you to understand that this leaven thing that he's talking about, he's talking about yeast. When you mix together flour and water and you make dough, the flour and the water becomes something totally different, right? It becomes this new thing called dough. Once you introduce yeast or leaven to this thing, and I didn't know this before looking it up, uh, yeast is a one-celled organism that actually goes in and starts to eat the dough. And then whenever it eats the dough, it expels this gas, and it causes the dough to rise and expand. And see, what God has done with the church is he's taken human beings in water, and he had those human beings in water come together, and they make something new called Christians, right? And what happens is, is when we ignore sin that is among us, and we allow people to be sinful because we say, oh, that's just them. That's just how they behave. They're too old to change. <laughs> we say those things, right? What is happening is, We've allowed that one-celled organism to come into Christianity, the body, 
and then it starts to eat away at the body. And then the body begins to transform into something that God did not make. And if God has made us into the church and we allow something to change it, God is not going to want that church in the end. I need for you to understand something because when this book is written, in the community in which it exists in, sin is more than just a personal thing. In our culture today, when somebody sins, it's just like, okay, that's them. That has nothing to do with me. That's them sinning. That has nothing to do with me. No, no, what do you, no something off my back. I don't know the phrase. No sweat off my back, right? But in their culture, when someone sinned, it affected the whole community. When someone sinned, it was felt among the whole group of people. Do y'all remember Akon? When God told them to go and destroy a whole city, he said, I'm going to take some of the spoil, some of this, some of this treasure, and then I'm going to hide it up under my tent. And what happened? When the whole group of God's people went to go battle, they got whooped. They got whooped because one person stole something. And his whole family clan died because he hid something under his tent. Just because that little small hint of sin existed among them, the whole community suffered. Paul here says, continue reading verse number six and seven, Brother Arnold. Clean out the old leaven. He says, well, go back to verse number six. Your boasting is not good. Uh-huh. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Uh-huh. Clean out the old leaven uh-huh. so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. What we need to understand from this is, is that those who judge properly are never okay with coexisting with sin. If you're going to be in the judging business as a Christian, those who judge properly are never okay with coexisting with sin. We don't know about sin and don't address it. And that's what's so great about the Bible. Sometimes we forget these things. And guess what? God doesn't add more to his word, but he leaves it the same so that we can go back to it and see what we saw before. The church should never be okay with allowing sin to exist within it. The church should never be okay with allowing sin to exist in it. When someone is living in sin, it needs to be addressed among the church. We should not get an attitude when we are the addressee. Because it's about accountability among brothers and sisters. And let me drop this in. When you choose to go and be someone who judges someone for their sin, make sure that it's actually a sin. It's quiet. When you go and decide to judge someone as being a sinner, make sure that it's a sin. We have a history of telling folks shacking up is a sin. A man and a woman living together is not a sin. A man and a woman have sex before marriage is a sin. Okay? I'm just telling the truth because you can state these beliefs that you have as being sinful, but you don't have a heaven and hell to put somebody in. God's word speaks about sexual immorality. It does not speak about shacking up. Okay? 
Eating pork is not a sin. Eating too much grilled chicken is. Gluttony is a sin. Amen? We can keep making these fences where they don't exist. But what we're doing is, is that we're superseding who God is and making our own set of rules. And what that does is that makes people not even want to be a part of God or the church. So if you're going to judge, make sure that it's a sin first. All right. That takes reading your Bible. okay, In context, because we can pull stuff out all day. I can go to the Bible and read. God told us to take a dip in the Jordan River, but that wasn't written for us as Americans here today. I'm not buying a ticket to go to the Jordan River if I don't have to. Amen. Let's go back to verse number eight. Read that for us, Brother Arnold. Therefore, therefore, let us observe the feast. It says, let us observe the feast. So Paul continues here with this whole thing about unleavened bread, because remember, as the children of Israel get ready to leave out of Egypt, God tells them, you need to be ready to leave from where sin is so that you aren't caught up in what I have coming. God says, I want you to mark your doorposts and I want you. You don't put no least yeast in your bread because you're not going to be able to wait for it to rise. Have this bread cooked and ready to go, because when I come, you need to get out of there. Right. And he says our Passover lamb is Jesus Christ and he's already been sacrificed. So why are we going to go back to living in sin and having sin among us? He says, therefore, let us observe the feast, the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and uh -huh. evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and truth. Verse number nine, please. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Paul here wrote a letter before 1 Corinthians. He says, I wrote to you before not to associate, not to put yourself around sexually immoral people, people who are being sexually active outside of the confines of marriage. He says, I don't want you even hanging out with them. Because guess what? It's a true statement that birds of a feather flock together. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 1533, evil communications corrupt good manners. If you hang around bad things long enough, it's going to spread. If you put some good bread inside of a bag with some moldy bread, it's going to get on the good bread. Don't be bad bread. Right? He says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Verse number 10. What I did, did he say? not mean the immoral people Paul of says, this world. I did not mean the immoral people of the world. There are more people that don't belong to God. He says, I wasn't talking about those folks. Paul here makes it clear. He says, I'm not talking about people who don't belong to God and are sinning. What does he say? Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, he says, I'm not talking about those folks who have a, a, a unnatural desire to have a whole bunch of money. I'm not talking about people who rob people. I'm not talking about people who make idols of things. He said, if I was talking about not associating with people of the world who don't belong to God, you would have to get on a spaceship and leave planet Earth. <laughs> and I don't think anybody in this room got that kind of money. He said, you would have to leave this world. I'm not talking about not uh, associating yourself with sinful people who don't belong to God. What does verse number 11 say, though? But I actually wrote. Uh-huh. But actually, I wrote. You but not actually, to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. Uh-huh. And is sexually immoral or Paul's greedy. right there. He says, but actually, what I did write to you was, he said, do 
not associate with anyone who claims to be. There's a lot of people who claim to be a lot of things, but they are not really those things. There's a lot of people who claim to be Instagram models. But they ain't making no money off the pictures they take. There's a lot of people who claim to be players back in the day. They ain't really have no extra ladies. There's a lot of people who claim to be rich, but they're barely making that car note on the fancy car they have. There's a lot of people who claim to be something that they're really not. And what Paul says, the people that I'm talking about are people who claim to be children of God, but their actions don't match up. People who claim to be people who are about the business of saving folks, but they're about the really about the business of sending folks to hell. Paul says, I'm talking about brothers and sisters who claim to be Christians, but they are actually sexually immoral. Meaning that they're engaging in sexual activities outside of marriage. I'm talking about those people who claim to be Christians, but they're actually greedy people who who want to do nothing more to make money. That's their goal in life, to do nothing but reach for money. I think we call it grind now. We call it, I'm on my grind. And it's a foolish idea. Because if you're working and working and working and working, you have no life. You have no life. Your family is going to suffer. Your health is going to suffer. And when you accumulate all this money and just die, you're going to leave a bunch of money behind for people to fight over. He says, I'm talking about those brothers and sisters who call themselves Christians, but they're actually idolaters. They actually make their boyfriends and their their girlfriends their God. They make their jobs their God. They make their children their God and they worship and they give everything into the lives of created things. He said, I'm talking about those people who are verbally abusive, who cuss out their husbands and their wives and their bosses. I'm talking about those people who can't put down the bottle. They're not the bottles with milk, but the bottle with alcohol. I'm talking about those people who like to swindle people and lie to gain an advantage over them. He says, with those people who call themselves Christians who engage in sinful activities, and this is not an exhaustive list. There are more sins than what he lists here. But he says, with those people who claim to be Christians and who are not actually Christians, what does he say? Do not even eat with such a person. Don't even eat with them. Don't even sit down and have a meal with them. Now, understand that in this culture, To sit down and have a meal with someone means that, hey, I vouch for this person. This person is okay with me. How they live is okay with me because I've allowed them to come and sit at my table. Now, that's not really a thing today because a lot of us have dining room tables, but we don't even eat at them. They're just there for the holidays, right? But today, should we be engaging in conversation? This is my Facebook friend when I know that this Christian brother or sister is living wrong. Today, should we still be engaging in phone conversations when we know that this person is living an unrepentant life of evil and sin? Should we go and have lunch with this person? Most certainly not. We don't do that because we want for them to be saved. And if we keep on acting like everything is okay with them, what is going to spark something in them to change? Well, they're doing their best. Well, if you're still associating with them, how are you helping them to change? 
it is quiet. And I know that we feel what's being said. I've done it too. I don't want to discourage. They need to be discouraged so that they're not condemned. They need to be troubled so that they don't go to hell. I'll say it more clearly. And if you really love this person and you keep ignoring their sinful nature and their sinful activities, is your love real? If you call yourself a believer of God and you're engaging in porneia and sexual immorality, sex before marriage, and you say you love that person, do you really love them? If your children are doing the same thing, if your children are out drinking and drugging and you know, do you really love them? And the fact of it remains, this is the thing. It's hard to tell people that they're wrong. Especially when you understand and realize that you do wrong too. But it's necessary. It's totally necessary. Because we live in a society where people believe nobody is supposed to tell me that I'm wrong. Only God can judge me. That's what society we live in. Verse number 12 here. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Paul says, I ain't got no business judging outsiders. I'm not called to be about the business of outsiders. And that's not saying that Paul isn't going out and speaking Christ and speaking the gospel into the world. What he's saying, my concerns is making sure that those who are saved are being saved and that those who are lost being saved. I'm not called to say you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. That's not my job. But he says what? Don't you judge those who are inside. Don't you judge those who are inside. We need to be about the business. If you know something that someone else doesn't know, that means God made it available and visible for you to say something about it. It ain't by accident that you know what's going on with your brothers and sisters. If your nose was good enough to smell some weed on their shirt, you need to say something. It's not legal here yet. <laughs> Other places is. If you smell that alcohol on their breath, you might need to ask a question. Yeah. If they was at JR's last night, you might need to say something. If they was dancing at the do drop, you might need to speak something. You might need to say something. Now, I'm talking about things. We, we see people that come out of these places. I drive by the do drop all the time. I see people that I know at the do drop. It's still open. I ain't seen none of y'all there yet. I stop and say so. All right. It says in verse number 13, God, God judges outsiders. This is not our job. We are supposed to be seed spreaders, not soil investigators. We spread the message, and then when they come into the body, then we hold them accountable for what they've become. 
Does that make sense? Our job isn't to go and say there's too much nitrogen in this soil. You must be thrown away. No. Spread the seed. If it catches on and they become a member of the body, then we hold each other accountable. Because it says God will deal with those on the outside. But Paul ends again and he says this message again. What does he say? God judges outsiders. Uh Remove the evil person from among you. Uh What this means is we present the message and we let God do the rest. Judgment is necessary for body accountability. Judgment is necessary for body accountability. So we ask the question again, does the Bible say do not judge or rather do not hold others accountable? No, that message isn't presented in God's word. The next time you are aware of a brother or sister in sin, study first to make sure that God is aware of the sin too. If found to be an error with God, go have a loving conversation with the brother or sister. And again, I I, I emphasize loving conversation with the brother or sister because they are not going to be able to process the information if you go to them with hate and spite. Have a loving conversation with the brother or sister for the sake of repentance. You go into the conversation hoping that they'll repent. If willful sin is what the outcome is, Did we treat them as outsiders? We withdraw fellowship in hope that they will repent so that they can be saved. Again, I state judgment should be about the reformation and salvation of another. Proper judgment is never okay with coexistence with sin. And those who judge properly are never okay with coexisting with sin. If our community were able to hold each other to righteous accountability, how many pointless deaths, arrests, and broken families would exist? If our church held each other accountable to the standard of God, how many of us would be able to avoid an eternal damnation and pain in this lifetime? If the world held each other accountable, I wonder if we would have to make laws to enforce moral issues. I wonder if there would be a problem with the reversal of injustice. I wonder if there would be such a thing as disenfranchised people if we held each other accountable. Godly judgment can save a lost world by making sure that Christians are spiritually healthy enough to do it. Does the Bible say do not judge or do not hold each other accountable? No way, no how. If you're not a Christian on this morning, I want you to understand that God loves you. God wants for you so badly to be in a relationship with him. He longed for you before you were born. And he knew you before the earth was created. The message of God that he has written since the beginning of time has been that Jesus Christ, his son, would follow the plan and come down and die a terrible death so that you could be saved. 
God gained nothing from him. We gained everything. Jesus Christ came down from the majesty of heaven and put on the clothing of humanity. And he felt the pain and he suffered and he died on a cross. But the, the point of this story and the good thing about this story is, is that Jesus did not stay dead. And we don't have to stay dead either. If we believe this message and repent of our sins, meaning that we look at our lives as we have been living in sin, and we say that I don't want to live that way any longer, that is repentance. And that is what we must do. We must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This confession cost Jesus his life, and it will cost us ours, where we will die to ourselves. We will no longer be simply who we have been our whole lives, but we will be on the course of becoming something new when we obey the gospel and be baptized for the remission of our sins. Baptism is us meeting God where he left, the blood atoning, the saving blood of Jesus. When we're baptized, we're buried under the water. All of our sins are washed away. Everything that we did in our past, God no longer is going to hold us accountable for. God looks at those things that we've done in our past and he says, you didn't do that. You're new. You're my child now. You're headed on your path towards eternity. Come be with me. And I invite you as we sing the song of invitation to do so. Just as I am without one. We stand in need of prayer.